Hello, hello. This is the Planet Amp Filmcast. Uh, originally, we were the Woodwards Filmcast. My name is Mitch Haba. Usually, I am joined by Kale Davidoff and Colin Ward. They can't be with us tonight. Kale lives in Los Angeles, so it would have been a bit of a trip for him to get out here. And Colin is working the restaurant life. So, my name is Mitch Haba. You probably recognize me most with my shirt off, which some of you may have been here for that. My, the podcast listeners are going to have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> they can but, dream, Mitch. Yes. Uh, tonight I am joined by Dan Tice, writer, filmmaker, improviser, and instructor of the Planet Ant um, Training Center screenwriting course, which I recommend everybody keep an eye out and take. It's great. I'm in it. I take it. I learn a lot. It's great. And he keeps his shirt on most of the time. Most of the time, yes. Occasionally. Boo. <laughs> Boo. That can change. <laughs> I feel lonely. I'm the only one who takes my shirt off. It's not great. Okay, buddy. Here I go. It is not a different shirt. Although I was wearing a very white uh, skin beforehand. <laughs> it looks like a shirt. It yeah, looks like it's a white very shirt. White. It's kind of loose and wrinkly. Oh, okay. No. No. <laughs> okay, so tonight we are going to talk about Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy. Has anybody seen that film before? Oh, all good. right, great. Nice. So we hope you all we hope you all stick around for the screening at midnight. Um, Nothing better than talking about a movie that no one has yeah, seen. Yeah, so we're going <laughs> to It's always good. Right. We're going to uh, tee it up and we're going to talk about its relevance today and um, why it is definitely worth watching. It's very, very interesting. And, and there um, will be no spoilers. No spoilers. We are not going it. to spoil the film. We'll not be talking about the plot right. too much. We're going to talk about what it's about, but not the plot. Yeah. Right. We're going to talk about it, but not about it. We're going to talk about the uh, lighting, just exclusively. Just the lighting. And the signature Martin Scorsese camera movements, tracking shots, slow motion, all that stuff. There is a slow motion shot in this movie. So, very Scorsese already. Yep. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, The King of Comedy was made in 1983, or released in 1983. It was Scorsese's, I think... Sixth or seventh film after Raging Bull. It was his eighth, eighth film, Mitch. What do I know? I'm so Jeez, sorry. Man. Do you count his shorts? It's good, I did research. Do you yeah. count the big shave? Do you no, count? feature film. Okay, okay, eighth cool. feature. <laughs> All right. Um, so it was written by Paul D. Zimmerman, obviously directed by Martin Scorsese. It stars Robert De Niro as Rupert Pupkin, a delusional and obsessive uh, comedian. It stars Jerry Lewis. Play, uh, his name is Jerry Lankford, very very different. Um, <laughs> he plays a Carson-like character, Johnny Carson, who hosts a Tonight Show type show. And Rupert Pupkin, Robert Jr.'s character, is obsessed with this guy, which he should be. It's Jerry Lewis. Um, it also stars Sandra Bernhard as a, a um, obsessed fan of Jerry Lankford. Stars Diane Abbott as uh, Robert Jr.'s like, very reluctant love interest, which you will find out later. Um, and Shelley Hack as Kathy Long. Um, other cameos are kind of weird in the film. Not weird, but uh, notable. Liza Minnelli's in it. Dr. Joyce Brothers is in it. Ed Herlihy's in it. Tony Randall. Chuck Lowe. And Street Scum, played by Ellen Foley, 
Joe Strummer, Mick Jones, Don Letts, and Paul Simonin. Simonin, excuse me. Are they in uh, it? They are in it. Oh my God, that's the Clash. Yeah, the for Clash. Those you don't know. Those are the members of the Clash. Music fans. Um, I thought you were. I thought we weren't going to talk about the movie. They, they're in that's it. That's okay. So all right, all right. Sorry, I'm sorry. Big one. You'll see them. You'll see them, and that'll be it. It's a very short scene. Um, so. This film has a lot of parallels to Taxi Driver, which I'm sure most of you have seen or know of, um, also starring Robert De Niro, maybe by Scorsese, but this is much, much less violent, surprisingly. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. It's got a different kind of violence. Right. It was rated PG, like PG, I don't think there was a PG-13 at the time, no. and when you watch it, you'll be like, okay, that's Weird. Yeah. It's a weird PG. Um, there is some interesting stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, then again, Airplane was also rated PG and it's other stuff. So who knows? Parental guidance. Can't every movie just be PG? That's what I'm saying. Wow. That's deep. That's deep. <laughs> okay. So the film is about Rupert Pupkin, uh, Robert De Niro's character. He's an obsessed outsider, comedian, who is just desperate for validation. And he is entitled, in a sense. He wants to be on Jerry Langford's show. He wants to be a, the monologuist for that night. He wants that shot. But it's not, it's not entirely clear whether Rupert Pupkin deserves that shot. He is very obsessed and, um, I, like I said, delusional. We don't know if he is good at his job, if he's good at comedy. Dan. Yes, Matt. <laughs> when... Was the first time you saw this movie? Well, Mitch, because you made fun of my skin earlier, and I just want to say you're much older than I am. So I am, and I'm sweating <laughs> profusely. I'm sorry. If you can it's see warm. me through all the sweat. Uh, that's that's great. It's these damn microphones—they keep the air off. Uh, yeah. So, King of Comedy. Um, I suggested this movie tonight because uh, I saw it when I was like ten. And uh, which is probably way too early to see it. But uh, I had this ritual with my friend, Tim Malik, And as 10-year-old boys, we would go and rent a bunch of movies. And then we would take our two VCRs at the time and uh, transfer those movies uh, onto VHS uh, for, to watch at a later date. Uh, we were like the first pirates, uh, pirates streamers. We were like the first analog streaming, uh, or analog like peer-to-peer, I guess. Uh, we were like our own private Napster happening. Your own private blockbuster, really. Yeah, well, that too. Well, we That's also an outdated reference. Yeah. We didn't charge anyone admission. In Alaska, right? And I think the statute of limit... Oregon, excuse yeah. me. Same thing? They're out there. It's still... <laughs> <laughs> Still a real thing. Um, Both weird states. Anyway, that. so we'd, we'd rent these movies, and uh, I think I had, you know, probably every other movie in my stack was like, had Bill Murray in it, and then I was like, oh, here's this movie. I loved comedies. I was like, oh, it's got comedy in the title. Mm-hmm. You're, al- you're also a fan of Regency and, and Regency. The King. Yeah. Oh yeah! Kings oh and yeah, yeah! Regal, yeah, yeah. Uh, royalty. Royalty. Yes. I uh, I know words. Yeah, <laughs> most of them. Most of them. Uh, anyway, I, know I was like, oh, 
this is a comedy. It's got this guy, Jerry Lewis, who I think at 10 years old, I'd never seen him, uh, but I knew that some people thought he was funny. Jerry's kids. Uh, mostly French people, I think. Uh, but I was like, uh, yeah, I, let's, let's see what this guy is about. Um, we put the movie in. I didn't know who Robert De Niro was. I definitely didn't know who Martin Scorsese was. Uh, put it in and immediately was like, oh, well, this isn't exactly a comedy. Uh, and then I think my friend, after about 15, 20 minutes, fell asleep or went to play Atari or something. Like, it's, it's not a children's no. comedy by any means. And some would say it isn't a comedy. It's very, very dark. It's, um, I would say it fits more as a comedy today than yeah, it would back then. I don't I think agree. very many people would find it that funny back then. It, no. It, it influ it would, it's obviously very influential to like shows like The Office or, as you, you mentioned, Larry, yeah, Larry Charles. Just very awkward, cringe. Cringy humor. We'll yeah. talk about that. Yes. But, so anyway, uh, I, even at 10, was like, oh, okay. I'm, I kind of dug it. Wasn't, didn't really fully understand what the hell was happening, mm -hmm. but I was like, it's stuck in my head for years to come. And then when this came up, I was like, oh, I should like rewatch that, which we did, or I did, and then yes. encouraged Mitch to watch it yeah, as the, well. The, and now you. Yes, the first time uh, I saw it was at either late high school or early college. I was kind of on a Scorsese kick. And this one at the time did not stand out to me. Really? Uh, still, Raging Bull is still my favorite yeah. of all of his films. Do you have a favorite? Uh, I think Goodfellas okay. is my favorite. Gotcha. Yeah, that's pretty. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Gee, oh, no. multiple people. Thank yeah, you. Gee, no applause for Raging Bull. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Booze. Wow. Angry crowd. Jeez. Okay. Uh, Fantastic. Well, and I think there's a reason for that, which we'll also talk about. But um, <laughs> let me give you just a, a, a little history on this, which Mitch did. Um, yeah, actually shot in 1981, but not released till 1983 because the, they had some test screenings and it was like dismal. People didn't know what to make of it. So they basically kind of shelved it for like a year. Um, it was his, it was Scorsese's uh, movie following Raging Bull. Um, at the time he was actually contemplating not making any more feature films, <laughs> narrative films. Thank God he did. And he was thinking about moving into documentaries uh, because he felt unsatisfied and still hadn't found his, quote, inner peace yet. Yeah, I did read that after this film, like you said, he contemplated, and like even Robert De Niro and other cast members were very, like, drained and, yeah. and uh, jaded by the whole experience. I guess it wasn't the best shooting experience. Are you guys excited to see it now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, anyway. You'll see, you'll uh, see. But so even at that, so the <laughs> one movie uh, Scorsese wanted to make before he stopped, even in the early 1980s, was he was like, I need to make Last Temptation of Christ. And he wanted uh, De Niro to actually be Jesus in that movie original. Uh, but uh, De Niro did not want to do it. And he was like, let's make a comedy. So this was that comedy. Uh, Hilarious. So De Niro, De Niro brought him a script. <laughs> Uh, the previous director, Michael Cimino, who did Deer Hunter, had actually dropped out of the project. Um, Scorsese initially turned away from it, uh, saying uh, later that 
uh, I didn't understand it because I was too close to it. Uh, and he later, obviously, changed his mind, decided to do it. Um, two kind of historical uh, references in in the in relation to this, uh, it's the, sandwiched between two yeah. high-profile assassination attempts. Right. So in the previous December, previous to when they started shooting it, uh, Mark David Chapman had shot John Lennon, uh, who had earlier signed an autograph for him that night. Uh, and then the following March. John Hinckley shot Ronald Reagan uh, to win the affections of Jodie Foster, who was a actress who was in the film Taxi Driver, which Scorsese had also made earlier, um, in a situation that mirrored the events of that mm -hmm. movie. Uh, so in terms of the climate for this film, it's even kind of edgier because it was definitely in this sort of cultural sense that there was celebrity and there was this other that was kind of obsessed with celebrity. Yeah, and obsessed with being that celebrity. And this, yeah. film, this film tackles that very well, that you have Robert Jr.'s character who wants to be uh, Jerry, uh, Jerry Lewis's character, and you have a character by, um, excuse me, by Sandra Bernhard, who is, who wants Jerry, um, and she's yeah. amazing in this film. She's uh, great. Yeah. If you guys know Sandra Bernhard at all, like, she's killer. But this movie, like, she she's just amazing. I, I watched the film and I recognized her a lot. You are more familiar with her work, and I don't know. I recognize her most from um, Leslie Nielsen's Wrongfully Accused. <laughs> Has anybody seen that? All right. <laughs> yeah. Woo. All right. Still the best uh, train bicycle chase scene I've ever seen. <laughs> yes. All right. Mitch, I owe, I owe a Mitch a dollar. Joe. I owe Mitch a dollar because I was like, who's going to know that movie? But that's awesome. I, I missed nice. out, apparently. I'm a huge spoof fan. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, in terms of Taxi Driver, I mean, this movie is like a bizarro taxi driver. It's It's like... If Taxi Driver was a comedy, uh, this would be it. And there was no shooting. Right. No spoilers. Why are you... Yeah, come <laughs> on, dude. Don't give everything away. Anyway, there's a yeah, shooting. It's, I'm it's, sorry. You know, there's so many shootings. <laughs> it's so it's much unbearable. Um, anyway, uh, but... And you were saying, like, on your Scorsese kick, I don't... Are you guys... Have you guys seen some Scorsese movies? Like, okay. Woo! Okay, a little applause. After Hours oh, is wow, my favorite. Right. Like, really? Probably my favorite movie. You just said Goodfellas. You're a liar. You're please, right. Please oh leave the stage right now. You're right. I forgot about After Hours. <laughs> After Hours made me want to make movies, but oh. that's a whole other conversation. It's amazing. Go see that. That was his movie after this one, uh, and it's also After Hours. Incredible. Yeah. Um, but I think in relation to you saying, oh, it didn't really, you know, strike me that much. Uh, it is wildly different than most Scorsese movies. Uh, so this was right after Raging Bull, which if you guys have seen, is like operatic and just like kind of epic in the, in the filmmaking. Uh, it's just like beautifully beautiful, crafted yeah. and this camera's just moving everywhere and the music is just like swelling and it's, it's beautiful. Um, this has 
almost no, well, it's got no music and almost no kind of what they call diegetical sound. Um, like like there's, there's sequences that you would see in a comedy and there would be this like whimsical kind of music behind it and there's none of that. So I think that also adds to kind of this weird tone. You know, Very, you're like, I think I'm supposed to laugh, but I, no one's encouraging me to. Lots of so. long pauses of silence and like thumb twirling and A fidgeting. lot of uncomfortable moments. Mm -hmm. So if you're a fan of that stuff, like Ricky Gervais, like when they were making The Office, they, they were like, we turned to King of Comedy, like that was our inspiration for the original Office. Mm -hmm. um, uh, another thing is there's almost all the, the shots... You said slow motion, but it's actually a, a freeze frame. There's that, but the, right before that, in the opening scene, there is a very, like, five seconds of slow motion. Okay, cool. But then, then the rest I, of the movie, not much. Yeah, so there's, like, <laughs> the camera, um, there's, like, no acrobatic camera work. Uh, it's, and, and, you know, people have kind of, a lot of critics have said that he, like the style, because it's sort of commenting on television, especially. Um, so the way he framed everything, everything is very center framed, like you would see on a television screen because everything gets cropped out. So everything's kind of center framed. The lighting's very flat. Uh, most of the shots are kind of medium close-ups and over-the-shoulder shots. It's a very traditional kind of uh, no-frills filmmaking. Um, because he was kind of trying to evoke this sort of TV tone, like mm -hmm. feeling. Um, you, you mentioned that, that still frame, which the credits roll over in the beginning, yeah. and I find that still frame very interesting. Um, and it's hard to really like, describe until you see it, but it is almost a direct theme, like a direct representation of the entire theme of the film and of what characters want and the desire for fame, desire to be famous and be the famous person looking at the, the other or looking, not being the other and being in that, that TV screen. Um, yeah, you guys without, see Without it, but... showing it right now, it's hard to describe, but once it happens, you'll see it because it's up there for a good two minutes. Yeah, it's on there for a very long time. But <laughs> yeah, just look at where everybody is in relation to the frame. It's mm -hmm. like, it is pretty interesting. Um, so in terms of the way it was received, uh, it bombed really hard at the box office. Nobody saw it. Uh, People just didn't know how to perceive it. Um, so are you guys still excited to see it? Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> it did well. But like, yeah, it was so mixed critics, critically, but... Yeah, I mean, it was a little more well-received by critics. Uh, Time Out called it the creepiest movie of the year in every sense and one of the best. Uh, Ebert gave it three out of four stars, but also said it was one of the most arid painful, wounded movies I've ever seen. He, yeah, he saw it, the first time he saw it, he said, like, he hated it and didn't want to watch it again, but then Siskel was raving about it. From, uh, what, from yeah, what I understand. Actually, in his, I actually have his review. Ooh. But he did say, uh, he basically said, like, I don't think I liked it, but I couldn't get it out of my head. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of went back to it. Um, but since then, um, it's ended up on... Uh, number 10 on American Films, Best Films of the 1980s. Surprising. Uh, number 180 on Hollowell's Top 1,000 Films. 
Um, Jonathan Rosenbaum's A Thousand Essential Films, New York Times Guide to the Best 1,000 Movies Ever Made, number 87 on Empire's 500 Greatest Movies of All Time. Uh, It's fascinating because when you think Robert De Niro, you don't think the king of comedy. You think Goodfellas, you think Casino, you think... Yeah, the, he's name playing. Him, name him. He's playing very against type in this very, movie. Very, very. So, um, it's almost aw- awkward to watch him play this type of role. I mean, any yeah. other comedic roles? I mean, uh, what was that? What was Is that it f- more awkward than Bad Grandpa? <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, uh, <laughs> I feel like the beauty of this is he's not trying to be funny. So yeah. That's, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 hard to watch someone of that caliber. Like, God love the guy. You know, I'm sure he has to pay for a yacht or something. But it's hard to watch someone just like dissolve their like legacy. I mean, whatever. I you know, it, it's not like you're gonna forget that he was in Goodfellas and Raging Bull. So, no. but I think some people, it's like, oh, the guy who played Bang Grandpa. But oh, yeah, you know, this is. This is <laughs> the guy in Meet the Parents, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that movie. But um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm I mean, just saying, give Ben Stiller a break. Gosh, I know. God, they're so mean to him. And then Jim Carrey was so mean to him in Cable Guy. That's a hard just... life. Anyway, uh, so I mean, but the legacy <laughs> of this film, I think, and what you'll we sort of talked about it, but I think there was. I mean, a lot of comedians, writers uh, have referenced this as a major influence. And I think like Judd Apatow, like we talked about Ricky Gervais. Um, if you've ever seen the Larry Sanders show, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to Larry exactly. Sanders. Uh, uh, you should see it if you haven't. But those all sort of came out of this, this sort of um, anti-comedy comedy um, or like humor and discomfort, Tim and Eric, um, Zach Galifianakis, like all that stuff. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, Eric Andre. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. roots of it in this movie. Um, Scorsese claims he hasn't watched it uh, since he made it because it's too uncomfortable. Uh, but he also said Rupert Pupkin is his favorite uh, collaboration that he's done with Robert De Niro. He loves the character. Um, and uh, I do want to say, well, yeah, so we sort of talked about the, the performances. Sandra mm-hmm. Bernhardt is incredible. Jerry Lewis, very for whatever you think of him, this was kind of the first time he, like, didn't do his... Slapstick. Yeah, yeah. his, like, idiot. Uh, so, but he really didn't get much credit for this, uh, I think, because he sort of took this character and then became... Serious Jerry, and everybody was like, oh, that guy's really annoying. But um, he's kind of amazing in this movie. It's very, like, uh, uh, there's, it's, like, very downplayed and, like, really grounded and good. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the best suits ever yeah. on Robert De Niro. Like, I, uh, the, these, his outfits are incredible. Well, his outfits also mimic Jerry Lewis's uh, outfits as well, and in the, in the opening scene and other scenes, he like he like tries to wear exactly what Jerry All the is wearing. the same stuff. Yep. Um, one note on that is like, apparently there was a guy Lou Magrum who was shirt maker to the stars in New York, and uh, De Niro and Scorsese walked past his shop, and the mannequin had the entire outfit 
like one of the outfits that Rupert Pupkin wears, including the mustache that he has. <laughs> and they were both like, that's Rupert Pupkin. They got all the clothes from this guy. And uh, Scorsese said that um, if you look really closely on De Niro, one side of his mustache is a little shorter because it was on the mannequin. I did like notice. They, they kept it. Oh, you did? I did notice yeah. that, yeah. So, I just thought he was just very schlubby and uh, pathetic. Yeah, pathetic. Pitiful. The character. He's very Perfect. pitiful. Yeah. Um, and how are we doing on time, by the way? Are we, We're good. We're good. Cool. Um, yeah, but talking about its relevance now, mm -hmm. I think... I think well, with the rise Yeah, I wanted of, to ask, is, is the, the display of entitlement and obsession with fame and the obsession to get to the top without working on your craft and just, you know, you, I'm sure you all have that idea if you're a creative person, like, oh my God, I wish my, my piece was in a gallery. I wish I was on stage accepting an Oscar. But you don't know how to get there. Or you know how to get there, but you want to be there now. Is that different today? Is it worse today? Is it not I, as bad? I would, I would venture to say this movie is more relevant now than it even was back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing to keep in mind for older people, I think you know this, but maybe younger people, it's not as clear. Like, uh, you know, back in the day where this, this movie kind of mimics Johnny Carson and there was a time for comedians where it was like, getting on Carson made your career. It, it like made you a star. So I think now that stuff's more watered down. You don't, uh, you know, you got late night shows, but it, it doesn't have the same power in, in no. like, like there's not as much social relevance no. just because there's so much and everyone's watching everything. But like when there were three channels, basically, it was like Carson was a big deal. Mm -hmm. It used to be if you were a stand up and you got on the Tonight Show, it was, you know, a career changer. Yeah. And if you got invited to Carson to sit with Carson on the couch, it was even better. Huge deal. And right. and it's funny because this also there's a lot of allusions to if you even if you get that fame, are you still happy? And Jerry Lewis's character uh, embodies this a lot. And I recall you mentioned Larry Larry Sanders show um, Gary Shanling. In a, the documentary, I don't know if you've seen it, um, Judd Apatow did it, and I'm completely drawing on a, the blank, a blank on Zen Diaries. Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. He mentions his number one goal as a stand-up comedian was to get on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And once he got that goal, it was like, okay, now what? what? He was not fulfilled. And then it was to host The Tonight Show. And then he was given the opportunity to co-host for a week or two while Johnny Carson was off. And even when that happened, he still felt unfulfilled. So, you know, we've, we chase fame and... Yeah, I think the... Then what? Yeah, I think the kind of beauty of this movie is that, like, there's an ambiguousness to whether, you know, what he tries to accomplish like how much it gives you in the end. It's like, uh, and I think Taxi Driver's like that too, where it's like things kind of fall into this character's favor who's obsessed and passionate, but it's like, what do they end up with? What, what do you lose in the process of getting this other stuff? And what does it ultimately mean when you have it? Mm -hmm. And what does that desire lead you to do to get that desire? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
so do you think it's worse today? Uh, I think there, I think, you know, well, again, Scorsese was asked sort of, you know, he, he kind of, his movies, he tends to sort of step away in terms of like a message. You know, it's more in this movie too. It's like you as the viewer decide whether it's a happy ending or an unhappy ending. Um, but, you know, he said, uh, yeah, there's a ton of Rupert Pupkins out there. And he's like, the, I don't want to give away too much, but he's like, you know, the thing with Rupert is he's, and you'll see his stand-up and it's like, well, he's okay. He's not really good. He's not crushingly terrible, but it's like, it's, it's, he succeeds in a way and it's like just being okay. And I think there's a lot of, there's a ton of things out there, but there's a lot of people that just like, I wanna be famous and I'm not sure why. Mm -hmm. Or I don't, there's not a, a core of like, what are you offering up to the world uh, beyond just having people like you or click mm -hmm. or gain numbers, you know? Yes. So we've, all, we've all been on Instagram and YouTube, and we've all seen the first few weeks of American Idol. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say... So I think that question is, yes, more... More so. The internet doesn't help, that's for sure. Right. Right. So Down this is kind of a weird movie about the internet, pre-internet. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Martin Scorsese invented the internet. It wasn't Al Gore. It wasn't That's Al Gore. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah, it's a series of... It, yes. It's a series of <laughs> tubes and long tracking shots. Yes. Um, so we're going to wrap it up, and we want to say thank you for coming. And yeah. We hope you stay. Um, there's Stick gonna around. Be a, there's going to be a raffle uh, right after this, and then the midnight movie screening of The King of Comedy. And as the film says, and this is kind of emblematic of today, the film says, better to be king for a night than a schmuck for life. So thank you very much. I'm Mitch Haba. This um, was Dan Tice. Uh, yeah. Sorry, you want to do it? No, no, please. No, what's your name? Ah, uh, shit. I forgot. Oh, damn it. <laughs> right. You're Mitch Haba. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So thank you so much. This was Thanks. the Planet Ant Filmcast. We'll be, you'll be hearing more from us. Thank you again. We appreciate it. Good night.